Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WET, from Portland State University Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the Health Promotion Suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for a non-traditional campus. My name is Bella, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Josh, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And my name is Quinn. My pronouns are he, him, his. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be your hosts for this podcast. Let's get into it. Welcome back, listeners. As most of you probably know, I'm Quinn Westland, he, him pronouns, and one of your hosts for What's Up. This week, we'll be discussing a topic that is very dear to my psychology nerd heart, demystifying therapy. Real quick, before I dive into what I mean by that, I want to give an acknowledgement and brief announcement. Logan, our wonderful drop-in interviewee, part-time research assistant, and fellow psych nerd, worked with me on this episode all term. But unfortunately, due to circumstances, wasn't able to be a part of this interview. So shouts out to her. I wouldn't have been able to put this together without her. And to announce that she will be joining us as a co-host for winter term 2021. So expect a very, if you're a psychology person, a very fun episode to come out from both of us next term. But to give you an idea of what I mean by demystifying therapy, with this episode, we aim to give those who aren't psychology majors or who might be apprehensive of trying therapy out a better glimpse into what therapy is and what it generally looks like. With data from the National College Health Assessment Survey done at Portland State University, we noticed that roughly 16% of the respondent pools said they would not consider seeking help from a mental health professional with matters that were really bothering them. We're hoping that through this episode, we can help ease apprehension of accessing mental health services. To give you all a more clear background on my interest with this topic, I'm a psychology major here at Portland State University who is hoping to get into a graduate program focusing around clinical mental health. I've utilized therapy at multiple points in my life, and I'm a strong mental health advocate. Um, One of Logan and my favorite classes that we've taken in our time here at PSU as psychology majors was our clinical psychology um, class that we were able to take spring term 2020. We were lucky enough to be able to snag said professor from that class for our episode today, which I am incredibly grateful and excited for. So with that long introduction out of the way, I'll go ahead and pass the stage over to Dr. Cindy Marino. Um, And thank you again for taking the time out of your schedule um, and being a part of this project with us. We're so stoked to have you here. Mm, I'm so excited to be here. I'm super honored to be here. Um, I uh, feel like we go way back when you can, you can call me Cindy. Um, Yeah, very excited to be here. And I think, you know, it's worth noting, I am a PSU alumni. So I did my undergraduate there and psych department and um yeah happy to be here so thank you so much um and you are a PsyD psychologist correct right yeah thanks thanks for that so by by licensure I am a licensed clinical psychologist I have a PsyD which is a uh, doctorate in uh, psychology um, and that looks a little bit different than a PhD, which is a doctorate in philosophy. Um, PsyDs tend to have a more clinical focus in their training. That's awesome. I super biased because I think the PsyD is the is the is the cooler psychologist route as someone that wants <laughs> to go after that. So that's awesome. You probably know um, my bias. So <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> PhDs are awesome. very important. We need those folks, yes. especially Thank that research researchers. focus. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for doing the work so I can read it and I don't have to do it. <laughs> um, one thing that I just wanted to like kind of give a disclaimer and kind of ask you about, um, as me and Logan were working on the script of this episode, we both noticed we have a huge bias um, of saying therapist all the time um, instead of counselor. Um, and we were wondering um, kind of just so that the audience can um, know one, so that I'm saying that and acknowledging that I do that and hopefully I'll try not to lean into that bias too much in this episode but um just so that the audience can kind of understand what's is is there a difference between a therapist and a counselor and and if so kind of what does that mean yeah okay so the way you know and I may be leaving something out because I'm not trained as technically as a counselor even though I can say I I do counseling um (laughs) as a psychologist so it gets a little confusing right um Counselors, I kind of think of, it's like an umbrella term. And so we have like master's level counselors, they're licensed counselors, and they might have a degree um, or that would lead them towards a licensed professional counselor. Um, And then you have 
like CADCs, which is a certified alcohol and drug counselor or peer counselors, right? And so counselor can be used pretty broadly, but it can also include folks who are um, licensed and went through a master's program or doctoral program. Um, and it tends to focus on when, when it, you go through the master's training, um, it tends to focus a lot on the counseling theory, which is pretty cool, um, but it's used interchangeably in a lot of settings, right? So it can get a little confusing. And when you're looking for a provider, you might want to keep that in mind and look for that. Where therapist, also an umbrella term <laughs> that's used for uh, master's level therapists, I'm thinking like a marriage and family therapist or um, it's also used for psychologists. It's also used for social workers. Um, and it's kind of, uh, in some states, it might be considered a protected title. Like in California, um, you can only use therapist if you are in fact licensed and registered as one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that helps, but kind of, it's kind of hard to tease apart, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, there's so many, so many things within psychology, I feel like are so like nuanced like that. And it's, and, and unless, you know, I, I don't know, I want to do this as a career. And I know sometimes I still have to like pause and be like, okay, wait, what, what does that mean? What is that acronym? So yeah, I, yeah, it's all, it's all, that was a, a really solid explanation of that whole like complex weird thing. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> like kind of speaking of that, one of the main things that we wanted to do within this episode is kind of just um, when people are looking around for um, like a practitioner to work with, Mm -hmm. um, just so that people can kind of, um, there's, there's so many titles that float around and so many different people that do so many different things. I'm um, just so kind of for the listeners to develop like a basic understanding of the types of practitioners they could like see, um, when they're looking for a counselor, um, could you kind of like describe a few like types of professionals in the field, um, that you might like see often when you're searching, um, oh, like yeah. the main acronyms or whatnot? The main acronyms, definitely. There's so many, you're right. Um, <laughs> psychology likes its jargon terms right really and, does oh. and acronyms and um so there's um i'll start with sort of like a master's level training a last a master's level clinician would be somebody who has say a marriage and family therapy license or uh an lpc a licensed professional counselor or an LCSW, which is a licensed clinical social worker. And all three of those folks would be um, trained at a master's level to do counseling. And in some cases beyond counseling and other things, which I can break down um, and, and provide great individual therapy, probably group therapy potentially. Um, and then you have the PhD and the PsyD, which is um, the doctorate level. And that leads you down the path to becoming a psychologist. You can be a school psychologist, a clinical psychologist, and a counseling psychologist. And those are just a little, little more finer area of detail for, for becoming a psychologist, detail of study, I'll say. Um, if you're looking for like medication, you might go towards uh, meeting with a psychiatrist or a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. Um, and, and psychiatrists go to school for quite a long time because they're medical doctors. <laughs> um, years. And years and years. Um, and then psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners also go beyond and get a master's degree focused in um, psychiatry. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different providers. If we look carefully, just closely, Social work, um, you know, the the sort of it's like the the variations of the different ones of social work, professional counselor, or marriage and family therapy is just a finer detail of where the training is focused. So social work looks at like individuals and the components and the systems within society, and um, they might be more. I might say well-trained in case management. They'd even do like hospital discharge planning and different areas of that, knowing the resources within their community. Um, LPCs focus on a lot on counseling theory. Um, MFTs focus a lot on counseling, counseling theory, but they also are looking at family and relationship theory, which tends to be focused a lot in the idea of the system of the family. Um, so yeah. That's, yeah. that's a brief breakdown. <laughs> no, that's awesome. It's, it's a, there's, 
again, I, I apologize to the listeners for saying this a million times in the episode. I'm so sorry from psychology that we have so many like weird jargon within the field. Um, but kind of like looking at like those practitioner types that we uh, you were discussing, um, is there one that's like better than the other? Should I always just like default? Oh, PhDs have more like experience. So should I always go to the person with higher schooling? Um, yeah, okay. I actually or, think that's a solid question, right? Um, we have so many talented professionals working as LCSWs, as LPCs, as MFTs, PhDs and PsyDs, if I do say so myself, um, who are, who would all be really well-trained and, and competent to provide services for individual therapy or group therapy. Um, and so, it, yeah, you know, it could be that, I don't know, that, you know, one is better than the other. You might say, like you said, one has a little more training, a little more time and experience under their belt as a psychologist. Um, and that's sort of the benefit but um, of working with that provider, but there are less of those providers around comparatively. Um, and so if you find someone that you click with um, and you find someone who's, let's say, uh, an MFT and, and it feels right, then, then they're the right person. So that therapeutic, the relationship you build within the therapy itself. Not that their credentials aren't important, um, mm -hmm. but like as long as their approach matches kind of where you're wanting to go and them as a person um, match kind of who you are, then that's the the key importance. Uh, that's yeah. the important element, correct? Yeah. And I know that there are some people who out there who are like, you know, um, maybe a staunch marriage family therapy or, so, you know, like if you're that they might say, well, our training is really solid and we're superior in, in working at excuse me, family and relationship, you know, that, that could be the case, right? They do get more training in that. So that's something to be mindful of, you know, um, it doesn't mean that in an LPC, a licensed professional counselor couldn't do a bunch of extensive training in uh, relationship therapy or family therapy, because once you're licensed, you can kind of head which way you want. So, yeah. All the continuous education stuff that you Exactly. Yeah. The joy of doing, there's the, the have to and also the joy of doing. Um, so kind of like branching off, like talking about therapeutic approaches, um, kind of I, this topic, me and Logan are both huge, as huge nerds, we, we talk about theory like way, way too much and we'll like just go off on uh, so many theory tangents. Um, so acknowledging that we could spend like 30 episodes just doing that. Um, what are kind of some like of the like the major like different types of therapeutic approaches that exist um and are there like like most common acronyms that we might be able to like just briefly touch on like where where they what type of like approach that they live under like the umbrella terms mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um okay so the way the way i like to kind of divide it up um is i think about um I think about it like there are some, and, and there are some therapies that are a little bit more um, maybe skill-based um, and um, maybe um, cognitive-based. And then there are some theories that would be known as like more process-based and process is a big loaded word, right? Like, what does that mean? Um, and, and, and then there are therapies that tend to use both, right? Um, and for example, I could center myself an integrative therapist. And so I might be drawing from different buckets in terms of theory, depending on the person I'm working with and what might be most appropriate or what it seems like they might in, like enjoy interacting through um, in terms of theory. So there's, there's things that would be considered more of a cognitive theory or um, and that might be like CBT, which is cognitive. Here we go with acronyms, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. CBT with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And essentially like in, in real short, that's just saying that, hey, our thoughts impact our feelings and they impact our behaviors. And sometimes our behaviors impact our thoughts, which impact our feelings and all the way around the triangle that I'm drawing in the air right now. Um, and, and so 
bringing more awareness to that, understanding when uh, it's having a, a hard impact on you um, can be really huge in kind of alleviating stress, anxiety. Um, and so there's some really great tools and really great process that you can actually incorporate in doing that type of work. Um, there's uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, and so that acronym DBT, uh, that is kind of more commonly known initially to be a theory that is used with folks who have a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Um, and I kind of am reluctant to even note that because it's used across the board by so many practitioners in so many areas. It's great for depression, anxiety, all sorts of different things. Um, DBT is often known to focus on um, emotional regulation and our ability to tolerate distress. And it has a mindfulness component. And it also has a, a component that looks at how we relate to others like interpersonally, um, all really important when we think about how we're navigating and moving through the world. Um, and then of course, there's uh, one of my new time favorites and a hot one right now out there in the theory world, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, I recently did an extensive training um, with Stephen Hayes. It was called an act oh camp. Yeah. Nice. Oh, it was phenomenal. I'm totally, totally jealous. That's so cool. <laughs> it was so great. So great. And um, he had uh, Kelly Wilson, who was a uh, a graduate student of his who helped him actually create the theory there. Um, it was just a beautiful training and a great experience, but they use um, this idea that there are these tenants, they have a little hexaflex with different things around the hexaflex. Um, and they say that all of those components impact your ability to be flexible in the world and they call it psychological flexibility. Um, and they'll say that when we get more rigid or when we're not in the present moment or when we're, um, getting really fused to our thoughts or um, when we stop acting on, in our life on the values and things that are most important to us to argue with our anxiety, um, we lose our path. And then that, that creates psychological inflexibility or what might be known as just distress, right? Um, it's a beautiful kind of third wave therapy that, um, yeah, I really enjoy. And then I look at, um, and I look at sort of the process category of therapies as being stuff like humanistic therapy, um, which is kind of like this idea that the therapist is creating this beautiful space where um, you have unconditional positive regard towards your client. Your client gets so many conditions. Like, I love you when you do this out in the real world, but what if they could find their path and, and what's most important to them, what their best self would be if, if they didn't have the conditions all around them, if they had a guide or someone walking with them, their therapist, who could provide the space where they can just walk through any of the conflicts and have support, right? That's at its simplest forms, but you can take my class, clinical psychology, Quinn, you know. Uh, yes, plug it. it. It will be in the, the like, uh, well, maybe not the exact CRN, but like the the listing for it will be in the episode description. And like, it can, if you are a psychology nerd, like just take it. It's so great. Oh, um, you do yeah. such a good job of walking it through everything, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so we go further into that in chapters in the class, but humanistic therapy is kind of beautiful and it's this beautiful foundation, which I think a lot of therapists kind of um, ascribe to, even if they don't use that as their whole theory from with which they work with clients. Then um, there's like gestalt psychodynamic and these tend to be more process uh, oriented therapies where you're not necessarily showing someone uh, a thought log or giving them a structured plan. You're really kind of talking and working through issues. Um, and that would be sort of the process part of it. Like you're processing the issues. Um, yeah. And I, I'd like to argue that folks who practice solely from CBT or solely from ACT can also do, they integrate processing work it just happens, right, within their um, practice. Um, yeah. Did I did I kind of expand on that enough for like, yeah. Yeah, no, that was really solid. Thank you so much. Yeah. So that's kind of um, all of the 
the, I say all of, but that's kind of like the, the oh, broad yeah. scheme yeah. of like what individual therapy and are, is kind of the, the different approaches to that, or like the, the more mainstream ones. Mm-hmm. Um, mainstream is a good word for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, many theories. There, there's, there are, there are so many, I was like, when I was doing research, like, I think you mentioned it in the class too, that there's like, like hun, like hun, like literally hundreds of different theories. And I guess to kind of um, elaborate on what we mean by that to like the audience um, by like theories or just like, it's kind of, and check me if I'm explaining this wrong, but, but um, theories are kind of just like the framework of how um, like practitioners like approach um, the work that um, they get to do with um, clients. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of like your, your roadmap, if you will, or like your, Mm -hmm. how you like go into situations and kind of uh, approach different um, circumstances or problems. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I always think about it. Like, so what's cool about theory and Quinn, you said you were a theory nerd. I can relate. Um, What's cool about theory is instead of just two people going in a room talking about a thing, like you might do with your friend, right? You might be like, Hey, I got to tell you about this thing. And they might be like, Oh, that really sucks. And um, yeah. Okay. Um, But with with a theory and with a therapist, they come in and you're talking about a thing. Um, the theory gives sort of like this um, way to conceptualize what's occurring for the client and a way to intervene or provide an intervention that might help with reducing whatever distress is occurring. Um, and a little bit hard to describe, but like earlier when we talked about CBT, they would say, bringing awareness to our thoughts, right, is so impactful. Um, Some people go throughout their day without thinking about what their brain is telling them. Um, And so if we can help a client kind of notice the thoughts, the automatic thoughts that just keep spitting out of their head, um, which is a human thing, like then, (laughs) then we can, you know, they might be able to redirect a little bit and that can help reduce stress. Right. So it's, it's sort of a tool like where, uh, I don't know, a medical provider might use um, a thermometer or medicine. The theory is the tool for the therapist. Yeah. That's a really, I, I appreciate the, that kind of like crossover comparison that, that it's a really good way of like contextualizing that. Like, thank you. Cool. Um, kind of like branching off a little bit. Um, I know uh, out in the community, there's a lot of resources around not just the like, individual therapy and at Shack, we also just don't do like individual therapy. There's also where you have two or more people in the room, kind of um, like therapeutic approaches. Do you mind kind of like touching on on those a little bit? Yeah. So I, I kind of think I hear you talking about is like, well, there's what kind of offerings do therapists offer um, and what kind of settings and and, and ways. And so there's individual therapy, right? Where it's you, the client and a therapist working together to address uh, clients' goals and concerns, right? Then you've got like couples or relationship therapy, um, which might be two, in some cases, two or more people in the room. And um, that is addressing sort of the dynamic that's occurring within that relationship. And then there's family therapy. So um, a family therapist, we can thank our MFT friends, right? Marriage and family therapists for their specialized training in that area. Um, But that's where you bring all the family members into the room and you're working on things like communication. You're working on things like understanding uh, how the family conceptualizes the issues going on with, and usually like there's an identified client. And um, so, so yeah, there's family therapy and not last but not least for certain is group therapy. Um, and so group therapy can be a little intimidating perhaps for some um, and yet so very important. Um, and we just talked about this last night in my uh, class at PSU um, where we were talking about how, why is group therapy so darn effective? And one of the things I, I think is most important is that if I'm working with an individual client one-on-one um, and they say, gee, Cindy, I'm experiencing so much anxiety. It's just really hard and I'm going through so much. And maybe I'm naming and validating that 
you are going through a lot. I mean, we've got a lot going on in the world and you also have a lot on your plate feels different than if a person goes to group therapy, sits in a room and says, I'm so stressed, too much going on. And other people, other group members say, I got you. Yeah, me too. Like, ah, this has just been tough. And so there's this phenomena or therapeutic factor called universality, which group therapy provides that you, you can't necessarily quite get in the same way in individual therapy. So this, this connection, we're all in the same boat together, right? And group therapy is beautiful that way. Um, and there's different types of group therapy, like there might be some more skill-based ones, there might be some more process-based ones, but they can be um, pretty helpful. And, and in some cases, some insurance companies, maybe even Shack, you'll have to let me know, um, will try and direct folks to group first just to get contact with a client before they can get them to individual therapy. Is that how it's going at Shack or how do they do that there? Yeah, so um, at Shack, um, we've, there's the, um, the group therapies that are offered. Some of them you do need to meet with um, a practitioner at Shack first to get screened to make sure that it's like kind of the right fit for that group. But a lot of them are just like drop in this term um, since everything um, right. for folks that are listening to this in the distant future, we're in fall of 2020 right now. Um, and for right now, um, a, a lot of them are kind of drop in just Zoom appointments. So if um, folks are at all like nervous um, about um, like going into a room with a bunch of strangers, um, hopefully like, you know, the virtual setting can be able, like mitigate that a little bit um, for you. It's, um, you can go in at your own pace. Um, they're not like, some groups are, they would like you to show up um, for like a duration um, of like a couple of weeks, um, but if you're not required to, like it's, mm. it's your like therapeutic process. So like, if it's just, I want to drop in like once and see how this goes and see if it's fit for me. Like that's, that's fine. You do you. Um, individual like therapy is still going on. Um, like usual, it's just all, it's just all telehealth. So yeah. Um, yeah. What a great way, like what a great time to jump into trying something totally different, like group therapy, um, when you can be in the comfort of your own home. Um, because of because of quarantining uh, during these times, but doing it through Zoom, yeah. And in some cases, I wanted to mention Quinn. Like there are some studies that would say that group therapy is as effective, and in some cases, a little more effective, depending upon the, the particular issue or concern, than individual therapy. Um, so yeah, it's good to keep an open mind, right? Totally. Yeah. I. Yeah, if you if you feel comfortable with something, I feel like trying exploring new options is always a like a as a really cool thing and being able to kind of like push your comfort zone in, in a safe, a safe, like supportive environment is a really a really good way to do that. Cool. Um one thing I wanted to kind of um ask and clarify a little bit. Um we kind of like talked um a bit about some of the theories that are out there and then about these like other um, more like group or like relational like approaches. Is there, um, uh, does it matter like which therapeutic uh, like approach a counselor uses? So if you see someone who's like, I'm, I'm that gestalt therapist or I do CBT, like when you're shopping around and, and we'll go more about kind of into that process in a little bit. Um, do you need to like obsess um, and Wikipedia search what all of those different theories means or, or can you kind of like what we were talking about, like just know the therapist um, and kind of know kind of the basic roadmap. Is that enough? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Quinn. The, I mean, I like so many different theories and I'm an integrative therapist. So if you were looking for one theory, you probably wouldn't find me. Um, and I might be a good therapist for that particular person. Who knows, right? Like, but what, what we do know, and we talk about in that class, is we know that um, the relationship between the client and the therapist actually matters significantly. Like, and in some cases, there are studies that say that it um, can account for. And what I mean by relationship is like, we feel comfortable together. We, we, can, we can be human together in the room and the client feels supported and the client feels connected because it's really by the perception of the client um, that these uh, a lot of these studies are done. And up to 25% 
um, I've seen numbers 25 to 30% of therapy outcomes are related to the relationship, the connection that a therapist and a client has. So that's, that's saying something, right? That we can set some of the theory aside and go, well, the relationship's going to matter pretty, pretty big time, right? Um, and we think of that um, as sort of like the vehicle or the car with which we go. And perhaps the theory is more like the roadmap, right, with which you drive. But if you don't have the relationship, the car, or the vehicle, then you, it's going to be really hard to drive on the roadmap and use the theory. Yeah. So um, at the end of the day, I would, I would think it would be best to find someone who you feel comfortable with, and that might require looking around. So kind of speaking on that, like shopping around um, for like your, your practitioner, um, what are, do you have any like recommendations of like what the most important things to keep in mind when you're looking for that counselor are? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so for students at PSU, they're likely probably to use the this resources available to them and probably go to Shack. It, it would make sense to me when I was a student there, that was always a resource I could use. Um, and so that might, that might take you to a collective of different therapists with which you might start with. Um, but what I like to say when we, when we're looking for a counselor is you want to find somebody or maybe even request, like it's okay to request that you want to work with hypothetically, uh, a male therapist. It's okay to say, um, that, has you feeling a little more comfortable for whatever reason, right? It's okay to prefer different sort of personality flavors in a therapist because you want to feel comfortable, like we were talking about with the therapeutic relationship being so important to their therapy outcomes. Um, but, you know, in some cases you might be thinking about uh, if insurance will cover, like let's say you go to shock for a little bit and then you go to a referral for more long-term therapy um, you might be looking at like where, what's the cost, um, what, what works with your schedule, the location of where it is, though not these pandemic days, you can do a lot of therapy online. Um, but really, when I think about how to shop for a counselor, you want to find somebody, you want to read the bios they have listed. Um, on websites, you want to kind of understand just a little bit about how they approach things. And then you want to kind of, if you can find more information, find a little more information about any specialty areas, right? Um, like, is this person competent to work with, say, um, folks within, you know, the LGBTQ community? Or is this person competent to work with, and competent, I mean, like, they've done some more training. They're obviously not knowing of all folks within X, Y, or Z communities. Um, but that they really, they enjoy that. They do, you know, take a lot of energy in making sure they do their best to serve those communities. So a lot of providers on their bios will say like, um, let's see, like, uh, gen like list out different specialty areas, anxiety, relationships and, and whatnot. So see if you can find that. Sometimes I'll mention there are certain like search websites like Psychology Today or, or something where you can search by insurance, you can search by specialty area um, and you can search by a whole bunch of different other factors and that can be important. Okay, but let me back up and say, you don't have to stop there. Like you still have, you, you've picked that person. And a lot of times therapists will do like a quick little phone call to connect with the, the client. But say you go to one or two sessions and you're like, mm, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this feels comfortable. Trust your intuition. That's okay. Um, sometimes I will meet with a client. I'll do what's called a clinical interview or intake at the clinic that I work at full time. Um, and say like, we have a good connection. I might say like, you know, you have the choice to work with me or with another provider. It's really on you and you can let us know. You can call the front desk. Um, and I always encourage them to use their own agency in deciding that feeling, like, right? Like, does that feel good to be in a room with this person or in a Zoom space with this person? Um, and sometimes even make the joke, like therapists are like getting a new jacket. Sometimes if you put it on and it's like really tight and uncomfortable, 
well, you're not going to go anywhere, right? Like it's just going to be tight and uncomfortable the whole time. And so you want to find, it's probably a weird analogy, but the right jacket, right? Like the one that's comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that totally, I appreciate having it like contextualized into like, you know, comparisons of like things. Cause like, yeah, right. Like the stuff we're talking about, it's like, always people I feel like always talk about like oh your intuition or like listen to yourself or like all these like kind of more ab- psychology is full of very abstract ideas <laughs> um so anytime when people are really good at like making it like a concrete like real world comparison I'm like you know I I, I appreciate that I need to get better at being able to do that so it's fantastic no that was it was it makes sense so thank you when I wanted um, to add like if that's okay like the yeah the thing too that I would tell prospective future therapy clients is that um, therapists know that they're not going to be the best fit for everybody, and you're not you're not going to break anyone's heart. Well, you might, but uh, <laughs> but they know that they know to expect this. So if you meet with a therapist a couple of times and you're like, it just doesn't feel good, it's totally like norm in in the on the therapist side environment to go, okay, so it wasn't a good fit. Let me help you find a good person for you. I mean, yeah. Speaking as someone that like wants to go into the field, like we all like just want to help the clients get to wherever, you know, they want to go. So if, if, you know, you know, if you're not the right person or um, another provider isn't the right person, like no hard feelings, like, let's just make sure that we're getting the client, like, you know, what they need in that moment. Is- yeah. And it's not like, uh, sometimes I think there's an impression like it could be time wasted or you have to re-explain yourself. And maybe some of that is true. And if you've done an intake and you stay within the same sort of uh, clinic or the same um, counseling center, um, it's not too hard to move to the next person because the intake is already complete. And let's face it, the intake is sort of a process, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we'll definitely, I'm going to jump into that with you in the next um, question. But one thing I just kind of want to like, mm-hmm. just like briefly mention, um, at least on like, as speaking from like a Shack perspective, um, just like to kind of mention about that process. Yeah. Um, you can totally shop around um, for providers at Shack. With that initial intake appointment, they're going to put you with whoever the first person is. But if you have a preference, um, like a broad preference of like, I would like um, a provider of a specific gender, or I would prefer um, a person of color is like my provider um, for that first um, initial intake appointment. We can usually accommodate from that. Um, and then from there on, um, we can branch off to like more specifics. If you're looking for, like you were mentioned, like that, like personality, or, um, a certain type of personality, or like if there's a certain approach that you want, um, they're more than happy to like work with you um, to find, because we're all a bunch of, I, I feel like a lot of, practitioners we're all a bunch of nerds that we like love what we all do um and we're excited about what the other like, I might not be into like existentialism I, I am but like I might not be into existentialism but another provider is like super into that I'll be like oh my gosh client like go over to this person or mm-hmm. you know like everyone everyone talks in psychology in terms of like what we like to do and how we can help each other help our clients and all I'm I keep saying our again as a person that wants to go into it but um <laughs> it's all <laughs> It's all, um, it's all a team effort. Yeah. All in service of trying to be ensure that our clients, whether it's with us or someone else, right. Is going to get the best services that they need, right. All in service of that. And that's, that's what, yeah, that's what we do. Right. And yeah. So kind of, um, jumping back into that, like that intake, um, like phone call, um, appointment thing, Mm -hmm. um, speaking as a person that that does this um what can you say um folks can typically expect from that like initial um intake or history appointment or you can kind of be prepared to be asked or um you know kind of Mm -hmm. reflect on so it's going to be different depending on my favorite it depends right um (laughs) the classic psychology professor comment um but it does depend on what clinic um 
you may be going to. Um, I imagine, um, you know, Shaq has a certain way they go about it at the clinic that I work at full time off the PSU campus. Um, we do an hour and a half where we meet with a client to really go through what we would call a full history, which includes in clinical terms, a biopsychosocial history. And, and what does that mean, Cindy? Well, what that means is we're looking to understand like things around your biology, like what's your sleep looking like, um, you know, any medical concerns or things that might be influencing your mental health. We're looking to understand the social part, right? Like how, how's your connections and community and family, family choice, like we're looking to understand more about what that looks like, what kind of support you have. And then um, we're looking to understand the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Um, and so we're gonna ask a lot of questions about that. For some, in some cases in an intake, we may ask you some really sensitive questions about experiences you've had in the past that you might deem as like a, a hard event or even a traumatic event. Um, and that's a hard part about coming in um, is that some of these questions can feel really personal really quickly, right? Like, and, and we kind of need to know that background to understand the whole person. Um, and then at the clinic I work at, like, we'll, we'll do our best to try and pair you with somebody who, who might be a good fit, um, who's also available. Um, and so, so that that's kind of how it goes. Um, so it's a lot of questions and answers, questions and answers, but it's also a great time just to get to know, um, the client and, and the real issues at hand and goals that they have for therapy. Um, once you've done it, you're done. And you can move into like the therapy process, maybe a little bit, uh, depending on the setting, like treatment planning. Um, but uh, you move into therapy after that. So some clinics will do it over the course of a couple sessions. Um, some will do it in one session. Um, and it just depends. Um, but it's really all in honor of, G again, here, being able to provide the best services uh, for the client coming in. Yeah. When we're kind of, when you're in that process, like say, say you're the client and you're in that process um, of doing the intake appointment and maybe you, you might have already like agreed and like gone through with a couple of like sessions um, of therapy. Um, how can you kind of tell um, that it is or isn't a good fit? Like when we were talking before about listening to your like intuition, what should you be listening to your intuition for it to be saying to you about like if this is working or not? Because that 25 to 30% um, relationship benefit is like a, a huge thing to like not be, you know, cashing yeah. in on and be able to utilize in the process. Yeah. So when I'm thinking about like, so what a client thinks or kind of runs through in their mind when they're thinking about, do I work, is this person a good person for me to work with? Is there a good fit as we might say? Um, so yeah, yeah, we'll go back to a little bit of intuition is helpful, like like trusting that like if you're feeling in like the tight jacket, like we talked about, right? It's, it's, it's a little awkward in here. I feel awkward with this person. Um, that, that could be a sign. However, we have to keep in mind that the whole concept of therapy can create an awkward feeling, right? Um, the whole idea, I always talk with my colleagues about what a beautiful and unique profession this is. Um, we talk with people about, you know, some of their deepest, darkest um, fears and, and, and issues that come up. And yet um, we don't talk with them outside of the therapy walls. It's such a unique profession. Um, so fit matters. So I'm thinking about you want somebody who maybe has uh, got some specialty areas that have uh, some, you know, that are important to you. Like if you're coming in with extensive anxiety, you want to know they're fairly confident with anxiety. So you can kind of let that part of yourself relax. I'm in good hands, right? Um, maybe another part of you might come up and be like, I like to know that they are providing affirmative care for uh, BIPOC individuals. Um, and, and I feel pretty comfortable in that maybe because not only have they done extensive training, but that maybe they are within the BIPOC community, um, which is 
wonderful. So then they can, that part can relax just a little like, and so what parts of yourself are showing up and feeling nervous and maybe how you can calm them might be speaking to a little bit about, is this a good fit, right? Like just sort of noticing what comes up for you might be different Quinn than what comes up for me when I think about what I need in a therapist. Um, I, uh, I know I've worked with clients who are like, please don't do, you know, I'll always say like, what works well for you? Uh, what do you like? What do you don't like if they've done therapy before? And they might say, well, Cindy, I can't stand that mindfulness stuff. So don't ever try and break out a meditation <laughs> with me. And I'll be like, you got it. Like, no problem. Um, so I'll often ask clients um, and hopefully that plays a role in helping us to determine fit. Um, trying to think of other things that would come into play. Usually I will say to clients, like, let it go for about a session or two, or maybe three before you make a final decision, confirming that you're committing to this relationship or not. Um, and then, like we said earlier, like it, you can, it's okay. It's not time wasted. You can move on to another person if it doesn't feel like a right fit. Um, yeah. Cause you've, you've learned in that situation too, that, oh, this type of, you know, like therapeutic practice isn't, isn't for me. And that's, that's a huge thing. Like, obviously it's great to know what you do like and what is helpful, but knowing what isn't helpful is also a huge piece too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be unique to the individual, right? Like I know as a therapist to me, if there's any sort of like, you know, I wouldn't want somebody who has a sort of patronizing tone, like a sort of like, I really, I really hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, tell me how that makes you feel um, <laughs> oh, yeah. because I am a therapist. <laughs> um, so, so everybody's individual needs would be different. Um, and so you're kind of checking in what are my needs? Um, to, to feel safe disclosing information that's really personal to me. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, one question that me and Logan thought that might be um, like beneficial to like hear from like a person that's in the field um, as like you said, like building that therapeutic relationship can be like uh, it's, it's a lot like, right. You're, you're talking to a person that you're supposed to spill all of like, all of your your like most difficult like pasts and like things that have like affected you um like throughout your entire like life history um so that so this random person that you've you've never met before you will never really interact with ever again like outside of like a therapeutic like practice like it's it's a lot um so we were wondering um if you would want to share kind of like as as a like as a practitioner What's your like favorite part of like building that client therapist relationship? Like, what do you think um, is like a beneficial, what's the good stuff that comes out of that for the person? Mm, yeah. Oh, I love that question. Um, I think, you know, I've worked, I've worked with individuals on a short-term basis and you can do some really beautiful work with that. And then um, I've worked with individuals on a long-term basis at my clinic. And by that, I mean like over a year um, and in some cases, a couple years. Um, and, um, you know, the relationship changes over time, right? Um, when you have a briefer amount of time, whether it be insurance-based or some, some other thing, confining the amount of sessions you can have, you really kind of jump in. And, and I wanna say, uh, when we're thinking about fit too and, and intakes and anything, really, it's, it's the client consents to what they share, right? Like, so that um, plays a role in the relationship, but when people kind of just really lean in um, and um, kind of trust the process, um, I find myself re really drawn to that work. Like when, when people want to lean in as much as I want to lean in and, and help, um, I think that can be, that can make for a really beautiful uh, therapist client relationship kind of bonding, if you will. Um, and then I think like, you know, I like to use a lot of humor. I always enjoy getting paired with clients that like a little bit of humor um, and can laugh at things and, um, I think that's helpful in my connections is when, when folks think that I'm a good fit, there's someone who appreciates humor, um, you know, just kind of making jokes about the world sometimes, or, you know, in these tough times, um, uh, what else? Let's see. 
Yeah. You know, I, some of the things that I think have been really beautiful to be a part of, like, I'm just honored to be a part of is like when I work with a client, um, and I actually once had a client tell me I've worked with several therapists, um, but I usually only went for two or three sessions. Um, and I was thinking in my mind, like, wow, we've been working together in, in, in my mind, like, wow, we've been working together for eight months. This is, this is amazing. Like, I know they trust me as much as I'm trusting them in their process, like that we, they have this wise inner self that will guide us in the work too, with the theory that we use. Um, and so that's really beautiful. Um, I could go on Quinn. I could go on. <laughs> no, I hear you. I like. I even, I don't know, someone that's just, you know, in like their undergrad studies kind of like dipping their toes into this work. It's like so like beautiful and humbling to be able to to hear, um, I don't know, just the incredible things that are able to be like accomplished within that like therapeutic relationship. And like, right, that you get to be a person with the privilege of holding space for someone to like talk about those things, I think is mm-hmm. is really like incredible and just for, like, you know, the listeners to know that the folks that are in this field, like largely like a lot of the folks that are like working on getting there. um, And then those that are, are like there because we like genuinely um, like honor that privilege um, and want to like, you know, curate and build that like space. Uh I, I, one thing that you said in the class um, that's like really stuck with me and I love, I'm a musician, like music is like my favorite thing. and you compared um, like therapy to like an art form and that it is like, it's like art and, you know, everyone brings into like the room different, you know, different tools um, and like approaches and things. And I, I just, uh, I like, again, as like a music person that just like really like stuck with me. I thought that was so incredible. Um, and that, that like the client therapeutic relationship is, is two people, you know, creating this, this wonderful art um, that, mm-hmm. that is like the therapeutic process itself, I thought. Mm. that was awesome <laughs> I love that you remember that yeah it so is though right isn't it like that I mean if you don't like so I almost want to like look at it like in the analogy of this idea that like maybe you know like the paint is sort of the the theory the paint brush is the relationship and the art is collaboratively done together right with consent of what the client's wanting to focus on and work on and um, the outcomes are just beautiful and, and touching. And it's something that providers take very seriously um, and really, you know, want to, yeah, like you said, we, we want to be in service of the client. It's a privilege and we take it very seriously. Yeah. Switching like gears and jumping way forward, you know, potentially more like short term in the future. But like you said, like with longer um, term, um, like, practice and like work it could be like a year or two um when you get to like the end end of the road with that era of of counseling um what kind of signs should folks be like looking for that they're they're ready to leave like like therapy I feel like um a lot of practitioners will kind of be able to know and start like guiding you towards that um but just you as a client if you get to a point where you're like you know I'm, I'm feeling pretty like good what what kind of signs um is that, and then, you know, with that, like, fear, like we've talked about before, um, in terms of like, wanting to switch providers, like, you're not gonna break people's heart, but like, how do you kind of get over that, that, you know, potential anxiety of like, bringing that up to your, like, practitioner, this person that you've built this incredible relationship with, and have been working with for a while, like, hey, um, I kind of want to be done now, or I think I'm done now, like, how, Mm -hmm. how, how would you even go about bringing that up? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because I think like um, like how you just said it, Quinn, could be a good way, right? Like I think I might be done, right? Like that that's a way to tell your therapist. Um, you could you could just say, I want to talk about my therapy progress. I'm curious about what you think. If if you're looking to hear what your therapist's thoughts are, right? Um, but ultimately, you have choice and autonomy and agency to say, I'm done when you feel done. Um, and uh, you, it, it might be that you are choosing to end before the therapist feels like the work is finished, but that's your choice. That's your agency, right? Um, but if you're kind of like at a point where you're like, yeah, 
I feel like we've hit, we've hit some good strides and I feel pretty good about the work and I've got some good tools and some good insight. Um, you know, it is not necessarily, I'm going to speak behalf of a lot of practitioners here. It's, you know, um, it's not, we want clients to be able to wrap up therapy so that they can kind of take whatever nuggets they've gained um, from their therapy work and, and sort of apply it in the world. And if they decide at some point to come back, they can. Um, and so not forgetting that, right? Like, cause I think sometimes it can be hard to, to kind of end it because of that fear of like, well, what if I experience a stressor again? And, and guess what we all will, right? Like, so you can come back, like you can do therapy um, as, as it feels like you need a little more support, right? You can do that, that's okay. Um, so I would encourage folks to kind of check in with themselves, right? Um, and say like, okay, do I feel like I'm doing all right? Um, I will tell clients that I work with, like, yeah, we, we want to, we don't want you being in therapy forever and ever and ever, right? Like, because that wouldn't be creating the autonomy, the agency, and um, building up that sort of inner wise self that knows that um, they can face stressors in the future on their own. Um, and so it is the ethical thing to do as a therapist to say, um, I think, you know, we've conquered most of the things um, or we have, um, we have completed most of the uh, goals or interests that you've wanted to work on. We can either look at creating new goals or we can kind of talk about wrapping up therapy for now. Then that'd be on the therapist side. The client can do the same, right? The client can say, I feel like I hit most of my therapy goals and interests and, um, I'm a little, you know, ready to kind of wrap up in a couple sessions. What do you think? Um, or I'm just ready to wrap up in a couple sessions. Um, that's totally understandable because on the therapist side, we're, we're saying, yeah, we want you to feel like things were helpful and I'm ready to go um, at some point. With all of that kind of said, hopefully we've kind of painted a good picture of kind of like what to expect. Um, I'm and you know, what, what all of this process actually looks like, um, but kind of like, as like a closing thought, um, is there anything that like you would say to someone who's still like hesitant to like seek out support um, mm. like through, um, like through group therapy, through like individual therapy, any kind of, um, you know, therapeutic relationship? Yeah, um, that's, you know, I, I would say, um, <laughs> It takes a lot of courage to say, I want some help with this thing. It takes a lot of courage to walk in the, to the door or the Zoom room and say, I want some help and I'm gonna go ask this person who studied human behavior and psychology for a long time for help. Um, um, I, I need an outside counsel here. It takes a lot of courage to do that and I get it. I, I get that. Like if there's hesitancy, it would be totally human to have some hesitancy to walk in the door and be like, I'm going to start telling you all about my stuff. Let me open up that suitcase of stuff and tell you all about it. Um, that's an act of courage. So if there's hesitancy, I would say that's not uncommon. Um, and to know that it's, um, it's you, if you're working on some issues, you like, perhaps like I'll use severe anxiety. I'm thinking about, an average college student experiences a little bit of anxiety. I mean, we all do as humans, but you got deadlines, you got papers to submit, right? Um, and if you feel like it's a struggle, um, there are a lot of great tools, there are a lot of great resources and therapy theories that can help with anxiety. Um, and if you're feeling like it's hit that point where it's a little too much, um, but you're still hesitant, it's understandable and know that we're here for you when you're ready. Thank you so much for those like wonderful, like last little nugget to be, it was so appreciated. And thank you so much again for your time and being a part of this. Um, of course. Wonderful, wonderful conversation. I'm so glad to be able to like, just sit and nerd out about psychology stuff. Um, Me it's, too. It's wonderful. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much again. Um, it was wonderful to have you on. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It was my honor to be here, Quinn, and very appreciative of your time, too. 
We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you on our next episode, which will be posted every Friday this term. While PSU has gone remote for the time being, we wanted to let you know that Shaq is still here for you. We are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503-725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth, and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number, 503-725-2800. If you are looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday, or you can download the Campus Well app. You can also check out the virtual MindSpa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including website links in the episode description. We also have a Google form that you can complete with any questions about health, check, or anything we discuss in the podcast. You can find the link in the episode description. Thanks for listening and take care.